Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello, hello and welcome to yet another edition of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. It's a gloomy Monday here in Mumbai, threatening for the clouds to break through. But clouds did break through for India in cricket finally, although very inconsequentially. Uh, we beat New Zealand. We also have found a new captain, a new coach. Our Ashwin seems to be back in favor and to talk about this and a whole lot more. Here's Ayaz Memon. Hey Ayaz. Hi Mr. Fantastic. How are you doing? Amazing. Waiting for the rain to stop and the winter to really make it here to Mumbai. But, well, there's never really a winter here, is there? Well, the sun's been shining on Indian cricket after a while, after a very grim World Cup, T20 World Cup. So, uh, we've had a three-match series, as you know. 3-0 is the scoreline, which is extremely encouraging. But I'll just try and put a little uh, word of caution here, which is actually, I'm reiterating what Rahul Ravid said, which is that, uh, you know, you can read only so much in this win and not beyond that. You know, he's obviously... Uh, a conservative in, in such matters. He's not the flamboyant, bombastic type. So what he's saying essentially is, look, New Zealand came here having played the final. They've not had much time. They've just had, you know, within 72 hours, they were back on the field playing the first game, three games in six days. It would have taken its toll on their, you know, much as we keep talking about the the workload and the biosecure bubble effect on Indian players, I'm sure that, you know, this also holds true for other teams, especially New Zealand, which has been on the road since in, since June. They played in England. They played the World Test Championship Series uh, final against us. Then they, you know, most of their players were in the IPL, then they were in the World T20 where they did excellently and now they are back in India. So, I think he was trying to highlight the fact that it's, it's great to start off with, with a 3-0 margin, but you know, also keep this the, the perspective in mind how uh, the the win has been achieved, and I think that's the thoughtful approach which is needed because we can get you know just get taken up by uh, by some triumphs and believe that we we've, we've conquered the World Cup or conquered uh, you know other milestones which may not not necessarily be the case as we've seen in the past. Well, but there was a lot of big takeaways though. We did see some good performances from the youngsters when they were given the opportunity. Admittedly, this was not the most precious situation, but it's still an international match, right? And we did see some good performances from the likes of Ishan Kishan, uh, Ruturaj Gaikwad, Harshal Patel, man of the match on debut. So some of these guys who did make their way through to the Indian team via the IPL route are starting to make a very lasting impact. Undoubtedly, I think, they, look, there were very big takeaways. I mean, you mentioned two of them. Uh, Ashwin, who's no, who's not a rookie. He's not even a debutant. He's been around for a decade and more. But this is Ashwin, you know, reloaded or 2.0 version of Ashwin who's come back into white ball cricket and also kind of showed us all why he should have been in, in this in this format in or in these formats even earlier. Because he's at the peak of his prowess, he's bowling superbly, he's got so much guile and he loves this, you know, uh, one-on-one contest with batsmen, especially the the big batsmen or the major batsmen. And that's where his advantage lies, that he's winning these battles, whether he's playing test cricket or ODIs or T20s, he's winning these major contests, one-on-one contests, which is why I think that However much we've got our Ashwin, maybe a couple of years remaining, he's 35, maybe a little more, but depending on form and fitness, I think he's somebody one should persist with. The other player, which you mentioned quite rightly, is again not a rookie, though he made his debut, which is Arshal Patel. He's pushing 30, he's been around in the domestic circuit for, for about 10 years. 
and what it shows is also the the reward for hard work and being below the radar in domestic cricket for so long you have one great season. that's where the ipl comes into play doesn't it mr fantastic he's had a wonderful season uh, picked up 32 wickets the highest by any bowler ever and now you know immediately he's in the indian team and he's made an immediate impact and what is the impact he's making uh, i think it's important to understand so he's got fantastic skills which he's uh, you know bringing to the fore these skills are about bowling in the death overs uh being economical big picking up wickets when they matter he's obviously a you know the cerebral t- sort he's not coming in and hurling the ball at 150 all the time he's varying his pace he's using his fingers he's using his wrist to break the momentum of the ball so to speak and what i've also found very encouraging is the way he batted in the last match so he's not a, a complete uh, you know tail ender in the in the usual sense he's got some ability to bat and that's also because you remember he opens for haryana in domestic cricket many times so he's got batting ability he's a very good fielder yeah he is going to be the kind of player i think that india will look for when they form uh, a new combo or they're looking for a new combo uh, to play the world cup in about 11 11 and a half months from now so these two guys were were the big takeaways uh, ishan kishan has been around he's been part of the indian squad so yes he got an opportunity he played very well i don't see him actually dislodging uh, kl rahul as rohit's uh, rohit sharma's uh, opening partner so he's going to be a floater i think up and down but there are some things that we i, I think i also want to highlight which will i mean we taken the good get away takeaways there are also not so happy takeaways which is that so for instance venkatesh ayer playing in place of you know literally like a replacement for hardik pandya fell a little short of expectations he had a very good ipl but he's not the power hitter that a hardik pandya is when which is what you need at number 6 he's also got decent bowling ability but he's not the kind who you know who looks like he might pick up 3 4 wickets now i'm saying all this based on what we've just seen you know he must be an obviously nervous young man 25 26 years old suddenly pitchforked into the indian team so obviously there'll be a show of nerves so if he has to get ahead in the indian team he'll have a lot of work to do under the guidance of rohit and uh, he's a high quality player make no mistake about that so to rutraj gaikwad how to break into this team uh, where the batting is so strong remember uh, virat kohli and jadeja will come back so there will be a big fight for places in the middle order and i don't think anybody can displace virat kohli so easily so that's another thing that is something that they'll have to think about the new coach uh, captain combo and the players themselves Surya Kumar Yadav, he had one half century, fantastic half century. But other times, I've, I, I thought he was, you know, his approach was a little unedifying to the watcher because he's got so much of talent, and you don't want to play such a high risk game that you border into complete recklessness and throw your wicket away. And that's something he needs to guard against. Remember when he got out in the last match, Rohit Sharma was at the other end, was completely pissed off. and you know being from bombay i'm sure he must have told him a few things later on in the dugout that hey boss when you're getting the chance don't mess it up you know uh, there are many claimants for for that same place absolutely and this really is a build up now to next year's uh, world t20 we will of course uh, get a whole edition of the ipl in the middle so more talent might be uncovered given there's two additional teams uh, what did you make of rahul dravid's uh, debut as captain uh, he did play give the youngsters a bit more chance but that was more out of compulsion uh, do you think strategically he's just taking his time and not changing too much too soon 
Yeah, look, the one thing I know about Rahul, you know, everybody thinks he's a very placid character and therefore maybe defensive in his mindset. I completely disagree. He's very aggressive where his game is concerned. So when he played for India and played in a defensive kind of mold, it was still aggressive defense in the sense that he was thwarting the attempts of stronger opponents to skittle out India, you know, for cheap totals. So it's not about strike rate aggression. It's about what intent you bring in the middle. Now, he's also, I, I think, very ambitious because without the ambition, you can't make, you know, 13,288 test runs and 10,899 or 89 ODI runs. You have to be very strong and uh, you have to have robust ambition. So I think both these things are these facets he's going to bring into his coaching. See, at, the, at this level, and we've talked about this in the past also, whether it's a Shastri or it's a Dravid or it's a Kumble, they are not going to teach players the basics of playing, how to play. You know, nobody will teach Virat Kohli or Rohit Sharma how to play a defensive, forward defensive shot or how to play the hook or the cut or whatever. Here, you're going to fine-tune. It's, in, it's all the mental game now. It's a more the mental game. I think Rahul Ravid's biggest task, in my opinion, is a two-fold task. One is to manage or how he handles the captaincy because he's going to have two captains. And they are of completely contrasting personalities. And that can be, it'll lead a lot of sensitive handling because how the captains react, so to speak, will have a direct impact on the dynamics of the dressing room. The other is that he has to get India over a psychological hump that this team which thrashes opponents in bilateral series somehow doesn't seem to win a multi-nation tournament or an ICC tournament. You lose in the semi-final, you lose in the final this time. We couldn't even make it to the knockouts. So there's obviously some mental issue at play, whether it's stage fright or whether it's the pressure of the situation, whatever it might be, I think he needs to, that is going to be, these are the two priority areas in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, while we speak about India's victory and how comprehensive it was, was New Zealand's performance a result of just fatigue uh, or a lack of leadership? I mean, they did have a lot of senior players in Martin Guptill, Trent Bolt, Tim Saudi. They just looked very directionless. And it, was Kane Williamson the only real missing factor? Well, Kane Williamson missing is a big factor. So we have to acknowledge as a batsman and as a captain. But I, you know what I feel, Mr. Fantastic, is that they have actually come here for the two test matches. Yeah. You know, I don't think they have anything to prove in the or had anything to prove in the T20 series. They beat us in World Cup and went on to lose in the final. So they got that far, you know, and they didn't have to prove much in the T20 series here. What they are intent on doing is proving themselves uh, as a good team or a fine team, even in Indian soil. The record in India is quite dismal. The record otherwise over the past couple of years is absolutely fantastic. They are actually the reigning. Uh, world Test Champions. So that is something that they are more keen to safeguard and you know make sure that India does not uh, deal them blows where Test ranking or Test reputation is concerned. I think that's really their priority. And how do you foresee the Test series going? Do you expect India to continue strongly? Well, yes. I mean, we've got you know now the now that it's clear that there will be a rest and rotation and workload. Uh, you know, workload will be issued and rest and rotation policy in place. For instance, Rohit Sharma is not going to play either of the test matches. And he's your, uh, in the over the past couple of years, he's your best test batsman also. So you're going to meet, miss Rohit Sharma. Uh, of course, it gives an opportunity for somebody else to put up his hand. Then there is Virat Kohli, who he's not been in terrible form, 
but he's not been in great form either over the past two years. He's just started in England. He started getting his half centuries more regularly, uh, but not the big ones that we know him to be. So there's going to be even a, a little scrutiny on uh, Virat. How soon? Uh, how you know how well he comes out of his uh, his current uh, predicament, so to speak. Uh, playing at home will also mean that Bumrah will be used a lot, of course. But guys like Shami, Bhuvneshwar, if he makes the cut. Uh, you know, I don't think Bhuvneshwar is there. But whoever, uh, fast bowlers are not going to be your main... Even Jaspreet Bumrah is not playing. He's also been rested after a long year. Oh, just Yeah, so I mean, so they've all been, uh, you know, it's going to be tough on the Indian team. But what they've got is, of course, the spinners. You know, Ashwin and also, I'm sure that on these tracks, uh, for New Zealand, the big challenge was not from the fast bowlers, but from the spinners. And that's really where they have to get the better of the, guy, of, of the likes of Ashwin and Akshar and Jadeja. So, it's going to be a very interesting uh, challenge almost for Rahul Dravid to select this team. He's, we've got Ajinkya Rahane uh, leading the team, followed by Cheteshwar Pujara, Rahul, uh, Mayank Agarwal, Shreya Sayer, Shubman Gill. And I'm reading out the squad as I see it. Aksha Patel, Ravi Chandran Ashwin, Jadeja, Shrikar Bharat and Riddhiman Saha. Now, this is going to be interesting. I mean, this has been on the sidelines for the longest times. Thanks to MS Dhoni and more recently, uh, Rishabh Pant uh, just finding himself well-suited to that pressure situation. I don't know how they'll solve for this. I mean, given Rahul Dravid's all for youth and building a team for the future, does Riddhiman Saha have a place anymore in this team? I think so. And I'll tell you why. One is, of course, that uh, you know he's in the squad. So there's a reason why at this age he's still in the squad. Which is that he's very skillful, and especially against spinners. Uh, when keeping to spinners on on turning tracks, uh, you need guys who are technically proficient behind the sticks. Otherwise, you can end up uh, messing up things. You know, if the if the, the wicketkeeper is not good, drop chances, extra, etc., etc. You must feel for Rajiman Saha because he's had such a long domestic career, but his international experiences have been intermittent. You know, he's been he's been only taken in. Uh, when Dhoni had was Dhoni had quit as the as the captain and and quit Test cricket and then suddenly then Rishabh Pant came and upstaged him uh, you know because primarily because of his batting talent so I think I think Riddhiman will be your first choice wicketkeeper uh, in this in this series there's no doubt in my mind absolutely well the fast bowling department is really where there's got to be a little bit of concern uh, Ishan Sharma Mohammad Siraj. Prasid Krishna and Umesh Yadav are the four lining up. My guess is only two will play because it's a test match in Kanpur. You you can probably uh, write it and bet your house on it that this pitch will start spinning by T on day one. Um, so <laughs> Ishan Sharma and I think Mohammad Siraj should make the cut? I think so. On Based on the performances that we've seen over the past couple of years, both have been extremely good. Umesh was impressive in England. Uh, and you know, he's actually been preferred fairly often to play in India because he gets the ball to swing. He's not relying on the pitch so much. Uh, so, it's going to be a tough... I, I don't see Prasiddha Krishna making his... Uh, or playing here. But certainly, it'll be between these three. And you're right. I think only two will play. So, it's going to be an interesting call because Siraj, the younger man, has been, you know, very exuberant. Very, he's shown a lot of skill. Ishans has got great depth of experience. And then, Umesh Yadav has been over the last two or three years seen as a a specialist on Indian pitches. So, it's a tough call for for uh, uh, Ajinkya Rani and Dravid. And I must add here, of course, that the rhythm of uh, captaincy will also change because second test match, Virat Kohli comes back. 
So his methods may be very different from Ajinkya Rane. So it's a very, in a sense, a very unsettled period for, for, the, for, uh, for the test team also. And therefore, it'll be interesting to see how Dravid manages or copes with the situation. But the biggest question should be around the two veterans in the team. Rahane, captain, Cheteshwar Pujara, both massively short of runs. Yes, Rahane was the captain when India beat Australia in Australia. But uh, do you really think this is more or less a last shot for these two to keep their careers on track? It, it is getting tough for them, especially for Rahane. Because he didn't have a great time even in England. Uh, I think Pujara kind of fought his way back. Uh, into into some kind of form in England, made important runs, especially when India went on to win those two test matches. Uh, not so much Ajinkya Rahane. You know, on home pitches, it could be a different ball game for both these batsmen. So, but you're right. I mean, you know, both of them in their early 30s, pushing 33 or 34, it's not going to be easy for them to stave off the youngsters if they're not getting runs. You know, there's only so much that the selectors and the team management will go on, on reputation and nostalgia and memory. Absolutely. Well, let's hope that A, it turns out to be a good match because for New Zealand, Kane Williamson will be back leading the team and with him will be the never-aging Ross Taylor. How long has he been playing? Is he is he New Zealand's version of Shahid Afridi? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, actually Ross Taylor has had a very interesting and a checkered career. As you mentioned, he's been playing for, for God knows, forever. He must be now on, on his 18th or 19th season in international cricket. And there was a time when he almost gave up uh, uh, cricket completely. That is when he was replaced as captain, if you might remember. And, you know, Brendan McCullum became captain and he was so dejected that he wanted to give up the captaincy. But he was kind of won over by the New Zealand cricket establishment and fellow players. And what has happened since then has been that he's become a, he's become a pillar uh, for the New Zealand team. First in all formats and now he's restricted uh, by the selectors to playing only test matches. And he was a big factor in New Zealand winning the World Test Championship final against India. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, there's definitely experience. He's been around for 14 seasons, uh, 100 test matches plus nearly 7,500 runs. So, uh, he's definitely going to be one of the major players that New Zealand bank on. Plus, the experience that he has of having played in Indian conditions in the past, and especially when you look at the rest of this New Zealand batting lineup, uh, a lot of them first-timers, a lot of them undercooked and from the little that we saw in the T20 is very unsure of what happens when a spinner pitches the ball in front of them. So that's going to be something where Taylor and Williamson and to a large uh, extent some of the uh, other experienced players will have to put up their hand and make sure that uh, they guide this young squad. Well, it should be a fascinating contest as always and let's hope for some really good cricket. Uh, staying with cricket for a little longer, Ayaz, there's a new league coming up in the Emirates. This is the second time that a league of this nature has been attempted. The last time in 2018, I think, uh, only two franchises out of the six that they were planning to put up were sold. Uh, but this time it looks more realistic that in February, we'll have a brand new T20 league in the Emirates. Yeah, I think one more league uh, to to come along is, is actually, in my opinion, one too many. But hey, who's to argue? Uh, about entrepreneurship in sport and also the the opportunities it creates for for players, coaches. In fact, the entire ecosystem. Now, the only issue for for these leagues, see, uh, leagues have sprouted up everywhere, but not all have been successful. It depends on the state of the economy, the management, how it is run, how it is conducted, uh, and therefore, this is this is really a primary concern. 
it's not the money you make upfront from selling the franchise, but it's how you run the tournament uh, to to let it kind of take root. Uh, you know, so you've got the IPL obviously, which is the biggest and the most uh, lucrative, the most high profile of the lot. Then there's the Big Bash League. Then there's the Caribbean Premier League, which has been also very successful. Uh, and is actually helping West Indies cricket turn around, so to speak. The 100 has come up in England. But the others have also died. You know, Sri Lankan Premier League, Bangladesh Premier League. Pakistan Super League is thriving now. Uh, they've had their ups and downs, but it's actually taken root. Uh, but South African, South Africa had its own cricket league, which kind of uh, fizzled out. New Zealand have been wanting to attend, but they are, I think, handicapped by the fact that they don't have enough, uh, they don't have a large enough talent pool within the country. To support a league. So I think that there are pros and cons to these 320 leagues. All the best. If it works, it's great. Well, there will definitely be some fatigue because this series, as things stand right now, is scheduled to happen just a few weeks before the next edition of the IPL featuring 10 teams. I'm not sure how many major international players will want to uh, or will even be available to play in that league while they prepare for the IPL where they're probably already committed. But I don't think there's a dearth of players or international quality players uh, that this league could snap up. Looking around the rest of the world, Pakistan and Bangladesh are presently engaged in a series. Pakistan just looks unstoppable. They've hammered Bangladesh in the first two T20Is. The third one seems like it's headed the same way. What do you make of this new Pakistan, hungry Pakistan squad, Ayaz? I think that's the right definition. It's looking at a team very hungry for success. They are enjoying the success. One of the things is that you become a successful team when you enjoy success and then you make it like a habit. You know, it's not a fluke. It's not a one-off. You can't say I've won once, naha, now I've achieved everything. And then you go to the next match and next match and you flop. That's not what is success. For success to be really counted for any team, uh, it, it must be sustained over a period of time. The great teams that we've seen of cricket in the recent in the last half century, the West Indies team and the Lloyd and Richards. The Aussie teams under Mark Taylor, Alan Border, Steve, uh, Steve Waugh, Rocky Ricky Ponting, all of them, they were always constantly, relentlessly hungry for success. And that's why they became great teams. The Indian team has been pretty much like that, I must say, under Shastri and, uh, and Virat Kohli. They got that, you know, that they brought in that culture of savoring and enjoying success. Of course, they haven't won uh, ICC tournaments, and that's a regret. But overall, if you look at their record, in bilateral cricket, it's been outstanding. So I think that Pakistan need to make sure that after this, these successes that they faced, there's no drop in commitment and enthusiasm. That's really been the bane for Pakistan cricket, of, of Pakistan cricket for so long. Uh, you know that it's just been consistently inconsistent, and they have to get over that. Uh, meanwhile, Sri Lanka is hosting the West Indies, and while the Sri Lanka team seems to have found a bit of good talent like we saw in the World T20, uh, the West Indies team had a terrible time of it, and they really are hungry for success. I mean, this this is probably one of the most fractured West Indies squads uh, I have ever seen. There just doesn't seem to be any leader, any direction What's the future for them like, Ayaz? I think West Indies have a serious problem in the five-day format. You know, they've been so... I mean, when Jason Holder was there, he seemed to be getting things around, you know, getting a grip over situ of, the, of the situation and leading from the front, as it were. Now he's been replaced as captain. I don't know the politics behind it, but I don't think it has really helped the team get any better. And this is, this is really the challenge, not just for West Indies. I think it's a challenge for the sport itself. You can't afford, cricket can't afford to lose 
an entity like West Indies cricket with such a magnificent legacy uh, and tradition just let it kind of die down in in uh, in red ball cricket and just remain alive in white ball cricket so i think there's a lot vested in this series it's not going to be easy uh, on spinning pitches in sri lanka against their home bowlers is not going to be easy for the west indies batsmen but if they come out of it with some credit then it will spark off some hope in cricket followers all over the world absolutely well let's hope that that series goes on well and there's a couple of uh, slightly delicate matters i wanted to discuss this episode ayaz one concerning tim paine's exit it's for an offence he committed a few years ago but uh, he wasn't sacked then and uh, this is a recurring theme in australian cricket isn't it we've seen this happen before uh, and the other major burning issue across the sport world where is peng shui what's happening there and how does this affect the winter olympics in beijing yeah so i, I let, let's talk about tim paine and his uh, you know his mess that he finds himself in now escapades yes yeah or sexting as it is called now and uh, you know what what one has read about uh, i mean sending pictures making it more graphic frankly it's a, it's a disgrace but it's there and what's terrible for australian cricket is that in the last 4 years they've had two captains uh, being you know put into the cauldron of controversy steve smith was found tampering the ball along with his vice captain david warner they had a one year suspension and tim payne on the eve of the ashes on the cusp of the ashes starting uh, has had to vacate the captaincy uh, and i think really what stands out here at least in this case is the hypocrisy of the australian cricket board so as i have understood the case this was a situation which happened in in, in tasmania the person alleging uh, this against uh, tim payne petitioned the uh, petitioned cricket australia cricket australia said it has nothing to do with us it has to do with tasmanian cricketers uh, officials or administrators and they left it at that uh, and three years nothing happened on it and uh, you know somebody got a whiff of of the story in the media from what i understand that that, that the lady in question uh, didn't leak the story but be that as it may now that it has come to light the the attitude and the approach of cricket australia is highly questionable and highly condemnable because uh, you know when you get such a complaint being made and you scoff at it because you were dealing with another crisis and didn't want to upset the equilibrium thereby deposing the person you had chosen as captain and making you know taking action against him you let this thing fester uh, giving no thought to justice for the for the lady concerned you know what it means to her emotionally psychologically even legally and in terms of because it's legally also it also involves the legal issue financially too so i don't think that the australian cricket system has come out looking i mean it's come out looking rotten and i think that's really the concern that uh, if, if these are the kind of, we don't know what other shenanigans are going on what else could be at play here you know and that's really the question that everybody should be asking that what else is happening in australian cricket and why can't it just be why can't they do a purge and you know why are they doing it piecemeal so for a purge first they they brought in justin langer and team culture and you know against to fight against so called cheating that might exist Uh, and but uh, simultaneously these things are going on so i think there is a lot that australian cricket needs to address where peng shui is concerned i wish i knew where she was this uh, i believe now the chinese propaganda machine uh, as i understand has been kind of informing people that she's been around she's been attending events she's been she, she's not kind of locked up 
not made persona non grata all that is being going on i don't know how much of it is fact and how much of it is propaganda but obviously the western world is seeing this as an opportunity to strike back at the dragon so to speak the the, the economic war that is being fought the, the whole covid issue uh, with which raised you know the concerns of the entire world about uh, what was happening in china all that has been going on and now there is the threat as i understand from the americans more more than the europeans so far of uh, boycotting the winter olympics which are to be held in china next so i i think there is a it's time for the ioc to step in and not just step in to dissolve the uh, olympics issue but also to find out where peng shui is well let's hope that these are amicably resolved and you know it's never nice to see an athlete or anyone for that matter being denied their right to justice and while we can't comment much on the political goings on of various other countries let's just hope that something like this is resolved uh, amicably well after all that's happened in the world of cricket let's take a quick look of what's happening in the world of tennis novak djokovic was knocked out by alexander zverev we can just keep saying that novak knocked novak knocked it's a bit of a tongue twister there but it also caps off a slightly disappointing final fourth of the year for him a year where he was very heavily tipped to complete a career slam forget that he's not even won the atp finals uh, but for alexander zverev he didn't just beat novak he went on to beat daniel medvedev in the final and clinched the nito atp finals as well so congratulations to him uh, but let's hope that this actually translates into more major titles for some of these challengers a thing that we've been hoping for the longest time but we're yet to see that happen well after all the tennis action let's take a look at what's buzzing in football well there's a lot to talk about ole gunnar solskjaer has finally been given the boot by manchester united liverpool chelsea manchester city march on west ham have had a minor hiccup in their unbelievable start to the season with that and a lot more insight here's samuel arora Thank you so much Mr Fantastic. You use a very interesting word over there buzzing. And buzzing might be the feeling that might not be happening in the Manchester United camp right now because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been uh given the boot, fired, sacked, whatever you feel convenient, but they've done it in a good way. They they've mentioned the club that is that they wanted not to do this and Ole will still be respected. You can call it PR nonsense or whatever you might like to call it it's sugar coated in a way but the truth is quite clear only did the best that he could have done and that's something that we've been echoing quite a lot on sports weekly over the past few weeks that he's taken the squad to the best limit that he possibly could have the time was right after a really embarrassing 4-1 defeat to Watford it couldn't have been a better time to let go of Oli and maybe that's why united and their management thought that right this is it it can't go on any further than this but yes he is gone but the problems can still remain we've now got an interim interim manager if that ever makes sense so michael carrick from the coaching staff is taking over of the squad until manchester united can find an interim manager who can manage the team until the end of the year until they get a proper permanent solution and that permanent solution is rumored to be mauricio pochettino once he becomes available if of course he leaves psg at the end of the year or maybe even in the middle of the year who knows how things are going to pan out that way and in terms of an interim manager there's no particular word on who that could be maybe they could continue with carrick himself if he impresses but i don't think they're going to 
do something quite like that, right? After the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer experiment, I think they would try and avoid that uh, by, by keeping a former player and trying to see how they go. But that's the way things are at Manchester United. Maybe a sign of change, but the air is pretty similar to as it was whenever a previous manager went at Man United. There's a glimmer of hope, but there's also a fear that the board are not confident or capable enough to know what the next correct step is. It needs a bigger restructuring, and I hope that they just come up with the right choice because just putting a good manager in there is not the only thing that needs to change. It's a far bigger problem at Manchester United. But that's that's enough on United. More on Oli for a second. Who won? Who knows? Who knows what Oli is going to do next? He, he said he's going to take out some time for his family. And he was very generous and nice to take out some time to address the fans in an interview with Manchester United TV that I think you should listen to if you're a United fan where he came out and addressed the whole situation, said what went right, what went wrong. And one point where he was absolutely correct is that he has turned United around. The atmosphere has changed. It is a lot more positive than when it was when he arrived. And that's a big learning. And he's also developed a few really good young stars like Greenwood, like Rashford, and made them a little bit better. But the fact of the matter, as I previously mentioned, is that he's done the best he could have done. And now it's more on what a new manager can do. And also if the board can support them with the right players and the right structure. Ah, so much happening at Man United. So much exciting stuff. But again, considering how history has gone, so much worrying stuff as well, if you've got to look at it that way. But worrying it might not be for Liverpool, City and Chelsea. As you rightly mentioned, Mr. Fantastic, happy days for them. Really happy days. Let's start with Chelsea. Beating Leicester 3-0. Amazing victory. They're really on a proper flow right now. Doesn't look like anyone can stop them the way things are going. And same with Man City, beating Everton 3-0, finally getting back to a little bit of momentum, a little bit of groove after it seemed to be dropping off in the first, in the last couple of weeks here and there. But the big fixture, the big one that we have to speak about is Liverpool versus Arsenal. And Liverpool are just in some phenomenal form. They thumped four past Arsenal at home. Mane, Jota, Salah and uh, Minamino. I hope I've got that correct. Uh, again, he's, he's so young onto the scene. And already scoring these sort of big goals in crunch situations. To be fair, the fourth goal isn't a crunch situation. But to batter one past Arsenal, considering the game was going amazing stuff. And it was a Liverpool performance. Dominating everywhere. Dominating with the possession. Dominating with the shots. Just really putting their high-intensity game to the test right here. And Arsenal, well, dare I say this, much like United looked toothless. But at least the future looks slightly better for them under Arteta. So let's wait and watch how that plays out. But yes, West Ham have faltered. Could you have believed that? The way West Ham were going, they've only had two wins, two losses, I'm sorry, before this past weekend, but Wolves have stunned them. And it's come to a point where you can't quite say that Wolves have stunned them because Wolves, with this win, have come up to sixth in the table, up to 19 points. They've only lost one of their last five, so rhythm is on their side. And now, this was a really crunch match where West Ham played like West Ham, but Wolves were just a little bit more clinical and they eventually won this really tight contest 1-0. And so what does it look like on the table, you ask? West Ham are still fourth. Arsenal are still fifth. Only three points between them. But then Liverpool in P3 with 25. City in second with 26. And Chelsea still riding high atop with 29. But Wolves are sixth. Tottenham are seventh. And United are eighth. And behind them, there's Brighton. Behind them, there's Crystal Palace. Everyone is just so close behind. Which is why we love the Premier League, Mr. Fantastic. But... All things considered, to wrap off the football for this particular weekend, exciting times to be a Premier League fan. 
for for better or for worse, uh, I mean, for for Man United, it could be either way. You you never know how things are going to play out. But one thing is for sure, things are really going to get spicy, not just in the league, but the way United bounces back as well. Thanks so much for that, Somil. Let's hope that Man United are able to pick themselves up from well this little chaos or the situation that they find them in it will take a while but depends really on who the new manager is and how he can shape the team in his own mold and before we wrap up let's take a look at what happened in formula one down in qatar lewis hamilton won the title race is tighter but there was a surprise visitor on the podium as well here's samuel again well hey yes mr fantastic fernando alonso was that surprise visitor who we are talking about and Honestly, Lewis versus Max, it matters, but not as much as Fernando, right? I know I'm getting carried away, but seven whole years since Fernando Alonso was last on the Formula 1 podium, he's done it again. He started third on the grid, qualified fifth, because there were a couple of penalties for Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas, because apparently they ignored yellow flags in qualifying, which means they sped through an area where they shouldn't have done that. And so the marshals called them up and the stewards said, right, you guys should get a couple of penalty, couple of penalties for whatever you have done. But the incredible part is Verstappen was able to recover from that very well. Finished second, the pace wasn't quite there to Lewis, so all things considered, it was really good damage limitation. Lewis was stunning. Lewis was just spot on. And if there's one piece of footage that you have to watch from this whole weekend, it has to be Lewis Hamilton's qualifying lap, where he just dominated in qualifying and got pole positioned by almost half a second, which in Formula 1 terms is an eternity. But Fernando Alonso, the way he was able to hold on to this race was amazing. He was getting really close to Sergio Perez at the end, where Perez was fighting back. And admittedly, a strategy that seemed to make things a little bit harder for him than it should have done. And eventually, it was a virtual safety car that saved Fernando Alonso. Otherwise, Perez would have caught him and perhaps could have passed him as well for P number three. So, such a great sight to see the veteran, the legend, the man who's ever so spicy in the world of Formula 1 come back onto the podium. And with this, Alpine have basically got up in their fight against Alpha Tauri. So they're up in P number 5. One win this year, one podium. Things are looking bright for them heading into 2022. But yes, two races remain. Ferrari versus McLaren. That battle has sadly been closed off because Ferrari now have a 31-point lead over McLaren. And McLaren have really capitulated in the last couple of weeks. And hence why... Ferrari, they've not quite had the best of pace, but they've still been able to eke away all those points. And even with their Monza win, McLaren don't just seem to have any momentum at all. And so, heading into the last two races, they'll really be hoping to round off the season as soon as possible. But Max versus Lewis, only eight points separating them until the end of the year. Two rounds to go, one in Saudi Arabia, one in the UAE. And basically, I or Lewis, or Max, or any other expert, any other commentator, or you for that matter, anyone in this world is just as clueless about what's going to happen because this has been such a close battle. And well, the answer, we'll get to know in a couple of weeks and I'll be so glad to be right here telling you more about this amazing story of a great seven-time world champion who's just registered his 102nd Grand Prix win, 10 more than Michael Schumacher, and his youngest new challenger who's just calm as ever and is delivering result after result. In fact, fun fact, in this season, Max Verstappen has either not finished the race or he's finished first or second. He's never finished a race below second place. Of course, in the ones that he's finished, that is. It's, it's remarkable how consistent he is. And this fight till the very end seems very exciting, Mr. Fantastic. Can't wait, really. 
Well, that's it from us this week. Uh, there's a lot more action that we'll be back to talk with next week. Keep watching. Tune in again next week. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks a lot, Mr. Fantastic. Always a pleasure to be on this show with you and Samil. And uh, yes, we catch up next week. Bye.